This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. In six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it that it might be kept for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find this, that text on page 1200, or excuse me, uh, 1068. Page 1068, John's Gospel, chapter 12, and beginning at verse 1. And this morning I want to talk uh, on, on this subject of spiritual devotion and spiritual deception. Spiritual devotion and spiritual deception. Indeed, that's exactly what we have in our text this morning. Spiritual devotion and spiritual deception. And the contrast between the two is stark and intense. What John tells us is that six days before the Passover, that, that is the last Passover that Jesus will observe in Jerusalem before he, his suffering and his death. He came to Bethany, John tells us. Now, Bethany is located, or was located, there's a town there, I don't know the name of it now, but uh, anyway, on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. We know the Mount of Olives as facing Jerusalem and facing what used to be the temple, or as we know now as the, as the, uh, where the Dome of the Rock, where the Dome of the Rock is and so on. But on the eastern slopes is where Bethany was, approximately two miles east of Jerusalem. And uh, when heading to Jerusalem, uh, Bethany was the last major sp st stop on the road that went from Jericho to Jerusalem. And John says that uh, Bethany uh, was where Lazarus was, and we know that reading other things uh, in the New Testament, in particular the uh, Gospel of John, that Lazarus was from Bethany and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, who were close friends of Jesus. In fact, I think it's the 11th chapter of this same Gospel of John and verse 5 that says that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And John tells us that uh, there in Bethany they uh, gave a dinner uh, for Jesus. Uh, uh, indeed, a, di a dinner in his honor. 
He'd been doing ministry now for three years. He'd pretty, been pretty well known. And he certainly was known in Bethany because he had close friends there. And they threw a dinner for him. Now, when you compare this with the parallel passages that we find in the 26th chapter of Matthew and the 14th chapter of Mark, it would seem that this dinner that was given in his honor in Bethany was not held at the home of Martha and Lazarus and Mary, but rather at the home of someone called Simon the leper. We don't know why he, called, why he was called Simon the leper. Maybe he had had leprosy at one time. Maybe he had leprosy and Jesus had healed him. But it seems that, that, is, that this took place at his home. And then we're told by John that Martha was serving at this dinner and that Lazarus, who was the one that Jesus had raised from the dead, which is what chapter 11 of John is primarily about, uh, primarily about was rec reclining with Jesus at table at this dinner. Now that table that John refers to would have been a, a very low table in the Middle Eastern style, where those dining around the table actually would have been laying on the floor, leaning on one elbow, and then with the free hand, reaching to the table to find the food and to bring it to their mouths in that fashion. And so their heads are close to the table, and their feet are all sticking out from the table. If you can imagine a sort of the hub of a wagon wheel with its spokes and no wheel, that was sort of the, uh, the fashion or the, uh, the configuration, if you like. I mention this because of what comes next, which might seem rather strange if you imagined in your mind that they were eating around the table like we eat around the table. And if you can imagine some woman climbing underneath the table, to anoint somebody's feet, it might seem a strange thing. But that's not where Jesus' feet were. They weren't under a table at all. His head was close to the table and his feet were out, and that was the case for all of the guests that were gathered around that table. And so we read in verse 3, and, and Mary, that is Martha and Lazarus' sister, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And it's what Mary does here that outlines for us something of what it means to be spiritually devoted. And the first thing is that spiritual devotion is costly. In fact, I, I, as I was thinking about this and this principle, I was thinking about what David famously said in the 21st chapter of 1 Chronicles, he said, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. I will not give to God that which does, that doesn't cost me anything. Or as Rick Warren wrote in his famous book, The Purpose Driven Church, he said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And Mary demonstrates her devotion by giving. Indeed, John says in verse 3 that Mary took a pound. That would have been a Roman pound, 12 ounces actually. A pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now this fragment or ointment, and there they are in Palestine, this would have been imported 
from northern uh, India where the, where the nard plant grows and this fragrant ointment is processed. It was very expensive even in Jesus' day and very precious, very valuable. And here Mary uses it in a not so subtle way by which she expresses how valuable Jesus is to her. Indeed, Judas doesn't think that, that Jesus is worthy of such an extravagance. In fact, to him, in fact, he calls it a waste. But to Mary, Jesus is worth it. And so that's the first thing, that spiritual devotion is costly. The second is that spiritual devotion is humble. John says that Mary took this pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard from northern India and anointed the feet of Jesus. Anointed his feet. Indeed, in Jesus' day, it was considered an extreme indignity to get anywhere, get any, get anywhere near somebody else's feet. That was considered to be the work of slaves and was looked down upon. You remember as we come to the 13th chapter of this same Gospel of John and Jesus, what? He takes, out of, takes off his outer garment and he, ripes, wipe, he, he wraps a towel around his waist and he pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And when he comes to Peter, he, Peter says, Are you going to wash my feet? Never! Not my Messiah. My Messiah is not going to be a foot washer. And that's the, the, that's the mindset that he's working from. But here's Mary. Anointing his feet. Like a slave. And in all actuality, that's probably the point, isn't it? Mary would have done anything for Jesus. No matter how undignified it might seem to be, her devotion had no limits. She would have done anything for him. And so that's the second thing, that spiritual devotion is humble. Thirdly, spiritual devotion is willing to risk being misunderstood. Notice again verse 3. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And then this, this last sentence in verse 3, which doesn't appear in the parallel passages, which seems almost just a, a, a reminiscent of John's because he was there. And he says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, which to John might have smelled so lovely, and to Judas, it only made him matter. But she wiped his feet with her hair. And when Jesus is day, a respectable woman never let her hair down in public. That was something that she would do privately in her own home, in front of her own husband. Respectable woman would keep her hair up and, and covered. But Mary lets it down. And she acts without measure, without inhibition, without self-focus, 
seemingly without any concern what anybody thinks. It's almost like the old traditional Irish saying, sing like nobody's listening and dance like nobody's watching. That's Mary of Bethany. Because spiritual devotion is willing to risk being misunderstood. I'd like you to understand, but I don't know if you could, what he's done for me, forgiving my sins, raising my brother from the dead. Whatever, whatever conventional ideas and you have in your head, I'm so very sorry, but I'm overwhelmed with this man. I have this ointment. It's the only thing in my financial portfolio. And I have taken it out to as what you might think, wasted on him. But he's worth every drop of it. And I don't have a towel around here, so my hair will have to do. But John tells us that there was someone watching. And he didn't like it one bit. Verse 4, And Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus. I don't know if there is a more scurrilous character in the Bible than Judas, of Iscar Judas Iscariot. You know, in some cultures, um, not in, not in um, uh, Western or not in, not in English culture anywhere, or where, where we speak English, we don't name our child, children Jesus. Uh, but where they speak Spanish, they do, Jesus. Nobody names their kids Judas. <laughs> Nobody. For this very reason. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, one of the twelve, this guy, is the, he is a close associate of Jesus Christ. God come in human flesh. He's right there. If you, if, you don't, if you think that there are some institutions that are beyond corruption, there isn't such a thing. Here is what Jesus referred to as the devil. He says in John chapter 6, haven't I chosen you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil? And there he is in Jesus' apostolic band. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him. That's literally true. In a couple of days, he will sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Three hundred denarii. Denarii is a Roman coin, silver coin. A, a common day laborer would receive, would work twelve hours for twelve hours from sun up to sunset to get a, a denarius. And three hundred denarii was approximately the, a, a year's wages for a common day laborer. So again, this is costly, certainly for people that are living in poverty, as we would certainly think of it. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But then notice in verse 6, John's editorial comment, which is not also, again, in the parallel passages. Verse 6, and John says, 
But he said this not because he cared for the poor. But because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag. By the way, don't put a thief in charge of the money bag. I'm sure... I'm sure he volunteered. My father's a banker. I know all about it. Okay, Judas, you take care of it. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in. Here is Mary pouring herself out. And the thief had something to say. He's a thief. He's a spiritual deceiver. And spiritual deception only feigns spiritual devotion. Indeed, Judas pretended to be a devoted follower of Jesus. He pretended to be concerned about the poor. poor. He pretended to be spiritual. But it was all a deception. Because spiritual deception only feigns or pretends to be spiritually devoted. And spiritual devotion costs nothing. Judas wasn't a giver, he was a taker. And when he saw people giving, that belonged to her. What, I'm getting upset. What business was it of his to interfere with what she was doing with her property? But he loved money. And he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And he's running around with Jesus. And so he thought he could interject this nonsense. He wasn't a giver, he was a taker, as all spiritual deceivers are. Indeed, spiritual deception is nothing but a strategy for gaining something for oneself. It's a lie. And worse than a lie, and pernicious and dangerous, when those who practice spiritual deception exist secretly among the people of God, as Judas did. But then notice what Jesus says as the passage comes to a conclusion. In verse 7, and Jesus said to Judas, Leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone she has done a good thing she has done a wonderful thing leave her alone so that she may keep what's left for the day of my burial and then notice and he practically quotes Deuteronomy 15 and verse 11 for the poor you have always with you you on any given day can do something good for the poor. They are always here and the opportunity never ends. But you do not always have me. And so where do you fit in all of this? Are you a giver? <laughs> or are you a taker? You call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you live for Christ or do you live for yourself? Is your spiritual devotion genuine or are you a fake? 
And if that last question offends you, as I suspect Judas was offended when Jesus rebuked him, well, there you go. Spiritual devotion and spiritual deception. Let us pray. I guess, Lord, we, we think about him. Um, we think about uh, Judas. You know, yeah, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know wherever they, wherever pay very close attention to just what sort of man he was. And his unusual place, or at least it seems unusual to us where he was. Even, even when the Lord said to him at the table at the Last Supper, and said, one of you will betray me. Who is it, Lord? It's the one to whom I dip the sup and give it to him. And he gave it to Judas. And he said to Judas, and what you do, do quickly. And all the other disciples thought he was going to give something to the poor because he handled the money. He had completely pulled the wool over all of their eyes except the eyes of the sun. And what about this woman who if we had been, in, in the, been there and if our conventions were the same as the conventions of those who lived around us, we would have thought she was a what? And that this whole thing is so improper. Whether it was to a priest or a rabbi or imam or any religious leader that that this woman would behave in such a way. And then the shock of all shocks, Lord. Jesus, your son thinks it's great. Because he sees her heart. And he knows it's just an expression of love. True love, agape love. Not some salacious thing that we might be tempted to turn it into. <laughs> Oh, Lord, that we would love you and love the Son the way she did. That there wouldn't be anything we wouldn't do for you. That there wouldn't be anything that we wouldn't release to honor you. <laughs> and be pleasing in your sight. Even if necessary for you to defend us against anyone who might try to stop us doing it. Lord, make our religion true. Make our faith genuine. Even as we read earlier, what did, you, what did the Son say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else that you would be tempted to worry about will be provided for. But just seek God first and his kingdom, and don't worry about the rest. Help us to do it, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.